Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Last couple weeks, we've been talking about keeping your heart. It comes from a scripture in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. We've been talking about this issue because I think a lot of times we neglect what's happening on the inside of us. We keep everything nice and neat on the outside. Our church attendance is good. We read our Bibles maybe. We keep things good on the outside, but on the inside, we remain lawless. And when we are lawless on the inside, we're wondering why we're experiencing lawlessness on the outside, but we have not kept our heart we have not kept our heart. And the Bible says that if we keep our heart, if we, if we bring our heart into submission, then every other issue of our life will fall into place. So if we want the thing around us, the, the issues around us to come into order, we have to get our hearts in order. Amen. Keep your heart with all diligence. We have to search our hearts. We spent the first two weeks talking about envy. And the ugliness of envy. Last week, we talked about unforgiveness and how unforgiveness can hide in our hearts. And today, I want to continue talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness here with you this morning. Um, again, last week, we talked about unforgiveness. You know, it says in Luke chapter 17, Jesus tells us that if a person sins against us seven times a day, how many times are we to forgive them? Seven times. That if they come and ask for repentance seven times, we forgive them seven times. The disciples look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, if you want us to forgive somebody unconditionally, you're going to have to increase our faith. That yes, it may be easy to forgive the little things, right? It's easy to forgive little arguments you maybe have with your spouse. It's easy to forgive, uh, you know, Bob Stout beating me last week in fantasy football. I forgive you for that. <laughs> Not so easy to forgive deep hurts. Not so easy to forgive betrayals and being stabbed in the back. Not so easy to forgive maybe a father who maybe physically or abused you emotionally. It's not easy to forgive those deep, hurtful, painful things. And that's why the disciples looked at Jesus and they say, Jesus, if you want us to forgive unconditionally, you're going to have to increase our faith. We don't have the strength to do it. And I think there's probably many in this room who maybe have felt that. God, if you want me to forgive this person for the pain that they've caused me. God, you're going to have to increase my faith. You're going to have to make me stronger. But Jesus looks back at them and he says, he says, I don't need to increase your faith. He says, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, he says, he's looking there, there, uh, there must be outside when they're talking because he says, you can say to this tree, and he points out this tree. There's so much significance in the tree, but we're not going to get to it this morning. Uh, it's a, I can't even say the name of the tree. I can't remember what it's called, but the tree has significance. 
He says, you can say to this tree, the tree was a big tree and has deep, deep roots. The roots are so deep. I'm going to talk about it anyways. The roots are so deep. The roots are so deep in this tree that they go down far enough that they don't need rain to keep them alive. Because they can, their roots can reach the well and the water source deep within the earth. And because of that, they can survive in dry climates. Dry, dead climates. And he says, you can take this tree with its deep roots. This tree that if you cut down because its roots are so deep, it'll continue to grow even after cutting it down. You can take this tree with a mustard seed of faith and you can say, be uprooted and cast into the sea. That even in the, even in the pain and the hurt that has taken a deep root in your life, that has caused the world around you to become dry, that you think there's no way I can cut this tree down. Every time I try to forgive, I can't do it. I keep trying to cut the tree down, but it keeps growing back because its roots are so deep. He said, if you have even the smallest amount of faith, you can say to this tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea and it will obey you. Amen. You don't need more faith. You just need the faith that you have, that he has the power and the grace and the mercy to give you to walk in a place of forgiveness. Yes. That's all you need. But there's a few lies that we believe that keep us from being able to walk in that mustard seed faith couple of lies that keep us in a place of unforgiveness. And just real quick, I'm going to review those. Lie number one, forgiveness equals trust. We think that if we forgive the person, then that means we're giving them access to ourselves again and opening ourselves up to letting them violate our trust again. But I'm telling you, trust does not equal for, or forgiveness does not equal trust. Let me set you free this morning. Forgiveness does not mean you have to give them access to yourself again. They're not mutual, okay? Trust is something that, can, or that needs to be earned, right? Forgiveness is freely given. You can forgive without having to open yourself up back to the person who had violated you, violated that trust. But let me say it this way. Unforgiveness oftentimes doesn't just not allow us to trust that person. Oftentimes forgiveness destroys our trust in the people around us too. When we walk in unforgiveness, we begin becoming suspicious of the people around us because we have allowed the pain to remain that they caused. And that pain reminds us every time we put ourselves out there and to begin to trust. Remember the last time you put yourself out there and trust. They cause this pain and all of a sudden you become suspicious of those around you and those who are trustworthy. You begin to question their motives. You begin to question whether or not you can really believe their words. You begin to question whether or not they're going to do to you the same thing that the other person has done to you. So unforgiveness causes you not to be able to trust. Again, what forgiveness does is it heals those wounds and it doesn't mean you have to go back to trusting the person who violated you, violated that trust. But what it does is it heals your heart to a point where you can trust the untrustworthy or the trustworthy again. That you can begin to trust 
again. Amen? Lie number two. If I forgive, I will not receive justice for my pain. If I forgive them, I will not receive justice for my pain. I'm letting them off the hook. But here's the truth. The truth is, justice is not your responsibility. Justice is not your responsibility. Jesus said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. It's not your responsibility and it's not my responsibility to make sure we receive justice for the pain caused to us. It's his responsibility. And guess what? Justice was served at the cross of Jesus Christ. He placed, he bore all sin. He bore all betrayals. He bore all misspoken words, all wounds and all pains of, human, of the human race. He bore all of it upon himself. All of the wrath of God was placed upon him for our sake. Justice has already been served. And for us to think that we don't deserve God's wrath, but they do, is arrogance. If we've been forgiven, if we've been set free, if justice has been paid on our behalf, it has also been paid on their behalf. So justice, we can freely forgive because justice has already been given. Lie number three that we believe, you cannot forgive until the wound they caused you is healed. That when I work through the pain, when the when I feel a little better about the situation, when the anger and the frustration has worn off towards that person, then I will be able to forgive. But here's the truth. Forgiveness is not the absence of pain, but the presence of mercy. Forgiveness is not the absence of pain, but the presence of mercy. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when he still had the wounds on his back and in his side and he had the nails going through his hands and the crown of thorns on his head, he looked out to the people who did all of that to him and said, Father, forgive them. That pain was present in the middle of Jesus saying, offering forgiveness to those who crucified him. Forgiveness is not the absence of pain, but the presence of mercy. Forgiveness is letting go of the rope of the bell in the bell tower. That as they pull the rope in the bell tower, the bell swings back and forth and rings, but eventually they let go of that rope. And the bell continues to swing for moments afterwards. And just like the bell in forgiveness, when we let go of the rope, when we finally choose the obedience of walking in forgiveness, the bell doesn't necessarily immediately stop ringing. The pain may still last for a while, but in the obedience of letting go of the rope, the bell begins to slow down. And eventually the bell comes to a stop and your heart can be completely healed of its wounds. Forgiveness is letting go of the rope. So last week we talked about 
the importance of letting go of the rope and walking in obedience to Jesus by choosing forgiveness. Today, I want to talk about how to walk out that forgiveness. I want to talk about the process between when you let go of the rope and when the bell finally stops ringing. What happens there in that space when you've made the choice to let go of the rope, but the bell still swings back and forth and the pain is still there? What do we do? What is the process of forgiveness when the bell is still ringing? All the way back in Genesis, there's the story of Joseph. We talked about Joseph a little bit when we talked about envy. We're going to talk about him again in, for, in forgiveness as well today. So the story of Joseph, um, it's, it's found, it's actually 10 chapters long, the story of Joseph, chapter 37 through 47. And the Bible's important, so we're going to read all 10 chapters right now. None of you fell for it, did you? No. <laughs> Now, it's, it's a long chapter so, or long story, so I'm just going to kind of break it down for you, the story of Joseph. So many of you know it, so it'll be easy for me to summarize it. Joseph had 11 other brothers. Joseph was the favorite one, right, of all of the siblings. How many of you in the room are the favorite in your house? Don't be shy. There we go. That's right. Emma's not even, she's not even trying. Emma, Rowan's got his hand like this. Emma just like, yep. <laughs> no, Joseph was the favorite. He received favor from his father. He received the coat. His brothers became envious and jealous. Long story short, they end up selling his, their brother into slavery and telling their dad that he was killed by a beast in the field. Joseph goes through all kinds of trials. First, he ends up sold to Potiphar. And he serves Pot in Potiphar's house, gains favor in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife decides that she wants uh, to mess with Joseph. She accuses Joseph of trying to make a move on her. I'll be gentle since there's kids here in the room today. <laughs> he leaves, he runs, he doesn't fall for the temptation, but, but Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of making a pass on her. And so Potiphar sends him to prison. Joseph ends up in prison and uh, in prison, he again begins to gain favor and begins uh, helping and running the prison within the prison. As a prisoner, he's running the prison. He ends up meeting a couple guys who he interprets a couple dreams to. And he tells them, hey, as you uh, gain favor, re-favor with the king, don't forget about me. Guess what? They forget about Joseph. A few years later, the king has a dream, the, the pharaoh has a dream, and um, the, the try, he's trying to figure out what it means. And the guy who Joseph interpreted the dream for in prison goes, oh yeah, hey, there's this guy in prison who knows how to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh tells him to bring him. So Joseph goes before Pharaoh, he interprets the dream, immediately gets promoted to second in command in Egypt which is the strongest nation in the world at the time. He's second in command only under Pharaoh. He begins, uh, the, the, the dream was about a, a, a famine that was to come and that was gonna spread throughout all of the land and it was gonna be seven years or there's gonna be seven years where things were good, things were plentiful, things were, things were uh, productive. 
but then there's going to be followed by seven years of, of drought and of famine and of hunger. So Joseph comes up with a plan to save the country, to save the people. So Joseph, where well, they're in the seven bad years now, Joseph has gathered all of this food and all of these supplies from the seven good years. And people from all over the region are coming to Egypt to see Joseph to buy food from the Pharaoh. While Joseph was doing all of these things, while he was dealing with the people and, and making, the, making the purchases and dealing with all of that, he sees his 10 of his brothers in line coming to get food. And if you remember this story from last week about Corey Tinboom, it reminds me of the story of Corey Tinboom when she saw the prison guard and the prison guard did not recognize her, but she recognized him. And the same thing happened here with Joseph and his brothers. Joseph recognized his brothers, but his brothers did not recognize Joseph. So they come up and they tell the story of their family that they have a, an older father, an elderly father who is back at home and a younger brother who is back at home. And they've run out of food. And it says the Bible tells us that Joseph treated them harshly. He spoke to them harshly, I should say. So that way he wouldn't give away his identity of who he was because Joseph wanted to test them to see if their heart had been changed and transformed. And so he begins questioning them and he accuses them of being spies coming to spy out the land so that they can steal food from Egypt. Of course, they begin denying it and trying to explain themselves. And then they begin speaking to each other in Hebrew thinking that this Egyptian and standing in front of them would not be able to understand them. So they start talking to each other and they start saying, they start saying, this is because, this is happening to us because we killed our brother. This is happening to us. God is repaying us for what we did to our brother. And it says that when they began saying that, Joseph understood them. And then it says that Joseph had to turn away go into a room by himself. And the Bible says that Joseph stood there and wept for his brothers. In fact, three times in the story of Joseph, it says that Joseph had to pull away and go into a room by himself and weep and mourn over the pain that his brothers caused him. And that's one, what I want to get to first here this morning. The first process of pain, the first process of forgiveness, the first thing that we have to do when we let go of the rope and that bell is still swinging. So we have to allow ourselves to mourn and grieve over the wound that has been given to us. We have to allow ourselves to feel that pain, let me tell you what I mean by that. As humans, we do everything we can to avoid pain. Right, Tammy? In the ER, does, has any, where's she at? Has anybody ever come unto you into the ER with a broken arm and said, you know, I don't need that morphine. We're good. No, 
No, we do everything we can to avoid pain, right? We do everything we can to numb the pain. And when we get hurt emotionally, when we get hurt and scarred from a betrayal or whatever it may be, we tend to try to mask the pain. And when we mask the pain, we never allow it to heal. We mask the pain different ways. We deny maybe that there was hurt. We put on that persona of, man, I'm strong. I can take it. No big deal. Just brush it off my shoulders and move on. But in reality, on the inside, we're hurting and we're broken, but we're putting on this front. We're masking this pain with denying that we are vulnerable without deny, with, without, with denying that, that we can be hurt and we put on the Superman cape and act like we can handle it. When in reality, we're broken and hurting on the inside. Maybe, maybe you're one of those that, that, that just brushes it off. It's not necessarily that you're denying that it hurt you, but you're just going to make a big joke out of it. It's no big deal, whatever. And you just, just joke it off like it didn't hurt you, but it really caused you pain. Some people go as far as to masking this kind of pain with alcohol and with drugs, with anxiety medications, because they don't want to deal with the pain that was given them. So instead they try to mask it and hide it and numb it with something so that they don't have to face it. How we mask our pain can vary, but if we only mask the pain instead of deal with it and allow ourselves to admit that there is pain, we will walk around with an injury that we keep numbing, but never actually allow to heal. There's someone else in the Bible who allowed themselves to feel the pain of another person's sin. And that's Jesus. While he was hanging on the cross, the Bible tells us that the Roman guards offered him some sour wine, which was a, a sour wine and vinegar, which was a cheap medication that would help dull the pain. And it says that when Jesus tasted the wine and the vinegar, it says he spit it out of his mouth. That Jesus didn't allow himself to go numb when he had the pain of the world's sins on his shoulders. That when he was going through the pain of our sin, he allowed himself to feel every bruise, every scar, every wound, everything that was given to him. He allowed himself to feel it and refused to go through the process of forgiveness without allowing himself to feel the pain of sin. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Part of dealing and being in part of walking and healing from the pain is facing the pain and not allowing ourselves to be numb by it. Mourning is the road God gave us that leads us to finally being comforted. And who is the great comforter? The Holy Spirit. The great comforter is the Holy Spirit, which brings us to the next part of the process. 
we have to allow ourselves to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. You know, walking through pain and grief and allowing ourselves to mourn for that is part of the process, but it's not the long part of the process. We're not supposed to remain in that state for long, right? Psalms 23 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We may have to walk through the valley, but we keep walking, right? We don't set up camp in the valley of death, right? We walk through it. And we may have to walk through pain and admit that there's pain there and mourn over that pain, but we don't stay there. We have to eventually allow the Holy Spirit to come in and comfort us. You know, some people try to numb the pain. Other people revel in the pain. Other people build their lives around the pain that was caused them. Some people choose to live in the pain. We, they, they build a fortress around the wound. And numbing that pain becomes the focus of the rest of their lives. That that pain, that wound becomes the focus of the rest of their lives. They allow the scene to play over and over and over again in their minds. And every time they allow that hurt and allow that pain to play over and over again, all it does is it keeps opening up the wound. It keeps, it keeps, uh, keeps re-breaking the wound and allowing the wound to stay broken instead of allowing it to heal. And so they stay in that brokenness and they live their lives guarding that wound and numbing the pain and it becomes the focus of their lives. Yes, we need to allow ourselves to feel the pain and grieve, but we don't stay there long. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to comfort us. Joseph allowed the Holy Spirit, allowed the Holy Spirit to heal his heart. And the Holy Spirit then gave him perspective. It's there in Genesis chapter 45. It says that Joseph, that the brothers, the brothers were repenting to Joseph after he revealed himself who he was. And Joseph looks at him and he says, no, 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 listen. He said, you think you sent me to Egypt? He said, God sent me to Egypt. He said, look at all that God has done through your sin. Look at all God was able to do and to work for our good through your, uh, through, through your sin. And Joseph allowed the Holy Spirit to give him perspective. He could have, listen, he was the most powerful man the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. If Joseph wanted to, he could have numbed his pain by dealing out justice to his brothers. He could have sold them into slavery. He could have put them in prison to give them a taste of their own medicine. He could have executed all of them right there on the spot. No trial, no questions asked because he had the power and authority to do so. But instead... He allowed himself to grieve, then allowed the Holy Spirit to comfort him and to give him perspective. And he began to realize that God uses everything for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what they meant for evil, he used for good. And that he was there today because of the way that they treated him. So God gave him perspective, allowed the Holy Spirit to heal him and give him perspective. The final step of forgiveness. First, we 
allow ourselves to mourn over the pain, but we don't stay there long. We allow the Holy Spirit to come in and heal our hearts and to give us perspective. But there's one final step to forgiveness, to silence the bell once and for all. It says that at the end of the story of Joseph's story with his brothers in Egypt, it says that he had them bring his younger brother, Benjamin, to Egypt. And they also had him bring his father, Abraham, no, Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Egypt. And when his family all got to Egypt, the Bible says that Joseph gave his dad and his brothers the best land in Egypt. says that he gave them the best land in Egypt. He gave him the first fruits, the biggest fruits of the land. He gave them the best food in the land. And the Bible says that for the rest of their lives, of his father's life, the rest of his brothers and their kids and their wives, the re- for the rest of their lives, it says that Joseph took care of them that Joseph fed them, that Joseph clothed them and gave them a place to live. In order for us to walk in fullness of forgiveness, in order for us to finally see that bell stop, we have to begin seeing those who hurt us through the eyes of compassion, through the eyes of mercy, Once again, we, we talked about this. Jesus, while he hung on the cross, in the midst of the pain of the cross, he looked out to those who had just crucified him, to those who before were yelling Hosanna just a week before and were now yelling crucify, those who were spitting at his feet and on his face, to those who hung him on the cross, he looked out. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He saw them through eyes of compassion and love. He saw them through the eyes of compassion and love. Let me say it this way. For us to come to a fullness, full state of forgiveness, for the, for the bell to stop ringing, we have to forgive to the place where we do not want to see them have to give an account for what they've done to us. That we don't want to see them punished for the pain that they caused us. Just like how Jesus looked out from the cross in the middle of the cross and forgave them. How many of you know that though those people, though those men who put Jesus on the cross may have had to have given an account for their sins in other parts of their life, none of those men had to give an account for crucifying the Son of God. Because when Jesus prayed for forgiveness and forgave those men, that all of the sins of killing Jesus, of murdering Jesus, they were forgiven and wiped clean, wiped off of their slate, that there was not one of them that had to give an account for their sin of crucifying Jesus. 
that in order for us to walk in the fullness of forgiveness, we have to be able to look at the one who hurt us with compassion and want to see them restored and want to see them forgiven. We have to be able to look at them and not want them to have to give an account for how they hurt us and caused us pain. When we can get to that point, we know we have finally stepped into the fullness of forgiveness. Not only do I want to be set free from my pain, but I want to see them free as well. Genuine forgiveness isn't about making yourself feel better. It's about loving others with the humility that Jesus loved us. And you know, this is hard to do. You know why it's hard to do? Because not everybody is going to feel remorse over how they treated you. Not everybody is going to come and repent and say, I'm sorry. In fact, some people won't ever admit they did any wrong to you. But it doesn't change our response to them. And, you know, it is a little easier maybe to forgive somebody who feels bad and feels remorse and regret. But man, how do you look someone in the eye who would say, I'd do it again and say, I still forgive you? How do you look somebody in the eye who says, if I had a chance to play this whole thing over again, I would do the exact same thing. How do you look at somebody like that in the eye and say, I hope you never have to stand before God and give an account for the actions you've committed against me. But you know what? He has called us to walk in that kind of forgiveness because the way he's forgiven us has taken away all of our excuses. We have no excuse to walk in unforgiveness. That while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us to repent. You know, I, I challenge you, go through your Bible, read these stories, the accounts when Jesus tells people that, that he forgives them and count how many of those people who asked for forgiveness before he gave it to them. You're gonna find that most of the people that he forgave never even asked for forgiveness. Didn't even come to him in repentance first. He just freely gave them repent or forgiveness. He just freely forgave them. He takes away all of our excuses to walk in unforgiveness. Whether they repent or whether they don't, we walk in compassion and in forgiveness to those who have wounded us. We walk in compassion and forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Amen. This is my final thought here this morning. The Bible tells us, and it says that we forgive because he forgave us, or we love because he first loved us. And you know, a lot of times when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about that forgiveness sets us free, right? It almost becomes a selfish thing. We forgive because that means our wounds can heal. We forgive because that means we've let ourselves off the hook and we've released them, and all those are good things and all those are wonderful. But let me tell you, those are just the base. Those honestly, I, I feel, I'm going to say this, I think those are poor motivations 
for forgiveness. Though it's all true, and it does bring healing to us, and it does bring freedom to us, it's a poor motivation. Listen, we're to walk like Jesus walked. Jesus didn't have to be forgiven of anything. So he doesn't forgive because he's been forgiven, right? He doesn't forgive because somebody had to forgive him. No, he forgives because he loves. He forgives because he saw something in us that he fell in love with. And though we may sin seven times in a day, he forgives us seven times in a day, not because it sets him free, but because he loves us enough to set us free. And so I want to end this whole talk about forgiveness today with this thought. I don't want our motivation for forgiveness to be, well, it sets our hearts free. To find full wholeness through forgiveness, to find fullness of healing through forgiveness, our motivation to forgive isn't, it sets us free. Our motivation to forgive is because we love like he loved us. Because we are looking more like Jesus. We are being created and made in his image. And he, and he forgives because he loves. He forgives because he loves. Why don't we go ahead and stand together? Church, my, my greatest prayer for you today is not even necessarily that, that your wounds would be healed, although I do pray that they are. My prayer for you today is that the love that Jesus has for us would be manifested so much in you that you begin to love like he loves. That we begin to love others not just the ones who love us back, not just the ones who treat us right, not just the ones who repent and admit their wrongs, but that we would love the ones who have hurt us the most. That we would love the ones who have caused us the most pain, that we would be able to genuinely look them in the eye with compassion and with mercy. And when we can get to that place, then our wounds are healed. Then our wounds are healed. The bell quits ringing and we can find peace through love and forgiveness. So Jesus, I pray today that you would rain down mercy and grace on us, Father. God, that you would give us grace to love others as you have loved us, Jesus. God, that you would give us grace to view those who have hurt us the most through eyes of compassion and mercy. God, that we, like you, could look at them in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our wounds still being fresh, that we can look at those people and say, God, forgive them. Not because we want to set ourselves free, but because we want to see them free because we wanna see their life encounter the love of Jesus who loves us unconditionally, 
who forgives us unconditionally. Father, let us represent you well on the earth, Jesus. Let our love look like your love. Let our forgiveness look like your forgiveness, Jesus. Father, we honor you and thank you, Jesus, that you have forgiven us because you loved us. And let us now walk out that same love and forgiveness, Lord. Do it in our hearts, Holy Spirit. God, I pray for those who are experiencing pain still. Maybe they've, it's, a, it's, it's recent. Maybe the, it's, a, it's a wound that has been there for years and years and years. God, I pray that today that the great comforter would come and begin healing those wounds, Father. God, that you'd begin giving fresh perspective to those people to be able to see that though you didn't cause the wound, you work all things for good. God, that you waste nothing. God, I pray for that comfort and I pray for that perspective today so that healing can come, that the bell can stop ringing. And Father, that we can then walk with compassion and love. God, we honor you today. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.